Well, good afternoon, and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. This uh, Let's Talk is the program for the Christian layman. You know, the Lutheran who believes but has questions. You know, in short, the program's designed for someone just like me. You know, there's a lot I don't understand. It doesn't have to be something soul-shaking. It might just be something that's been on my mind for a bit. And I find that rather than getting into a deep chapter and verse theological discussion... Sometimes just a casual front porch tile talk with the pastor is the best way to understand it. That's what this program's all about. Today's guest is Lance O'Donnell of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Nakamanawak, Wisconsin. I've got my questions, and I'm sure you have yours. You can send your questions by email at any time to letstalk at kfuo.org. Or you can call in during the program. If you're in the St. Louis area, it's 314-821-0850. And that includes Metro East. Or anywhere in the lower 48, you can call us at 1-800-730-2727. Lance, welcome to the Front Porch. Good to be back. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been a while, so we got a lot to talk about. Yes, all I'm sort- sure we do. <laughs> all sorts of things going on. I heard on. on the news you had, a, you, had a little, you had a little summary thing there about what happened in Milwaukee the other day. Yeah, yeah, we've had, yeah, that was a terrible thing. Uh, the Lutheran Church Charities uh, with their comfort dogs. I don't know if you've met them or worked with them at all. It's a wonderful, wonderful program. They uh, bring in uh, specially trained golden retrievers. That yep. and uh, they've they've had some remarkable results with it. Uh, I remember one particular one after a, a school shooting. Uh, they had some children who were actually reacting with the uh, with the dogs and these w- couple of parents were standing by looking listening the little girl was telling the dog what had happened and said you know it's the first time she'd actually spoken about it yeah and you know to me dogs, you know, i'm a dog person i've i've always maintained that and you know, to me i think dogs are first person gifts from god and they're here for a reason i w- i won't argue with you uh, we talked about this before a dog is you know, my dog has been a steady companion for my mother for 27, oh, good gravy, 28 years now that she's been widowed. Mm-hmm. And uh, as, as I, I think I've said before, um, the wonderful thing about dogs, even though I'm not a dog person, is uh, dogs are not as emotionally complicated. <laughs> they just love you. Yeah. They're honest. <laughs> yeah. So that's... Uh, you know, my mom has uh, had a dog for a long time, and it's been a guy. And, and in situations like this, I know there's something about a, a calm, cuddly animal that that is good for the soul. That's true. Um, I remember when my wife was dying, we had a, a German shepherd by the name of Conrad. And he just lay down by her bed and would not leave to stay there the whole time. I even got a picture of him at the bed foot of the bed with with uh, sandy on the bed and the caption is, goes dad you said uh, big pardon this is after your father died no my mother my my wife oh yeah okay. yeah and uh the the caption under the, the conrad staring at me and the caption is dad mom's sick uh and just a <laughs> a real touching yeah. one yep but enough of that nonsense not nonsense i mean it's uh wasn't what I was planning on discussing today, but uh, you know, I'm I'm glad that you brought that up because this is something that that 
we as Lutherans can do to help ease the pain of others, be aware of the pain of others, and be aware also of how we can relieve them. And sometimes it's to use these first article gifts that God gives us. No doubt about it. Mm. Um, I was, um, you know, I, I, I don't remember and I don't have the full story, but I, I believe there was a Missouri Synod Lutheran involved in all of that um, in Milwaukee. Oh, yeah. Um, my my first year here at St. Paul's, that was 2012. In October of 2012, some disgruntled, deranged boyfriend, uh, you know, took a submachine gun in and shot some people in a in a beauty salon about a half hour east of us toward Milwaukee, and um, I got a call from uh, one of the church leaders in my congregation that said this had happened and that her stylist was there and it was quite possible that she was one of the victims. Oh, dear. I had just come to town. Um, And so, you know, I went over, you know, I went over to the family's home and knocked on the door and they were all sitting there practically catatonic had 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 not yet received word yet you know mom didn't come home from work but they hadn't received word yet whether she was actually a victim and i was so they invited me in um i sat with them and i was there when they got the phone call confirming oh dear um you know and we said in a press statement uh, later, quoting uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, you know, we, that we we weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, and you know that. So with our with the families of the victims there, we just that we we weep with those who weep right now. Mm. Boy, that is so true. You know, especially in this day and age. Like the incident up there, we've had a, there has been some other shootings around, and I just don't know. It, were, were, were things always like this, and we just weren't aware of it, or is it because of increased uh, increased communications that we are becoming aware that things are going on? I don't know. I do think that uh, Satan is alive and well and working in society, you know. But yeah, no doubt. Um, it, it's. It's, uh, it is incredibly sad, and you know, I don't, I don't, re- I don't really want to get into the politics of it. <laughs> yeah, right. No, <laughs> be, that will be helpful to us. But at least right now, the what a what a terrible, corrupted, sinful thing it is um, for that to happen, and um, how many how many lives. forever changed because of it. You know, speaking of Satan, <laughs> and I know you yeah. and I have discussed this before, uh, evil is abroad, and uh, it works in various different ways. Uh, you and I have talked about the occult, for example. Yes. And I have spoken to some parents um who have problems with, for example, uh, the Harry Potter books because it deals yeah. with magic. Now, my question here is, 
every child has an imagination, and I think it's a wonderful thing to expand that imagination. I remember when I was a child, uh, my mother used to read for me, read to me from Doctor Doolittle or from uh, or from uh, Winnie the Pooh, you know, and talking animals and talking toys, you know, that are just oh, wonderful things for a child. Uh, but you know those don't exist, and I was aware that toys don't talk and uh, that. Animals don't have a separate vocabulary that we can learn, like French or German. <laughs> <laughs> although, although we try sometimes. Uh, but uh, what about the what about the the Harry Potter thing? I mean, it's a uh, it, to me, you know, I I don't have a problem with it. My view of that is is that you know, it's imagination. It's made up. You know, Hogsworth doesn't exist. Everything in the book is just, the books are just strictly for entertainment value. But, as I said, I know of some parents who are adamant that they will not let their children read the books or see the movies. Yeah, and, um, I mean, if you think that's right for your child, I wouldn't. I mean, right, the occult occult stuff is real, and and... You don't, I mean, you don't want to play around with it. I mean, you know, Deuteronomy 18, I mean, the list of abominable practices for which the people of the nations were to be driven out included some, you know, occult uh, occult practices. And so, you know, that is stuff that you don't want to play around with. And I, and I don't want to just say on the other, on the other hand, but you know, so if your conscience is bugged by the, I mean, can you, can you, in a fictionalized sense where a world is created to help tell a story, um, can you use such things like J.R.R. Tolkien did or C.S. Lewis mm-hmm. did, you know, to, to tell uh, a story? And, you know, I think you can, but I also think there are some people that, that their consciences are are pricked by that stuff that then you then you need to avoid it um and certainly you shouldn't be you know shoving it in somebody's face and telling them they have to read it if your conscience is pricked by it as a parent or as a child oh certainly nobody should be forced to read it the the, the question is is it dangerous uh the only time the only time i had a hesitation with the uh with the potter books uh there was a, a scene where uh our hero is going where Harry is going to a, a big Quidditch competition, and there's a little tiny tent, and he walks into the tent, and the tent is huge on the inside, and he just turns around and says, "I love magic." That got to me a little bit, but yeah. you know, again, it's it's imagination, it's fantasy. Uh, uh, it can be, and so it, this is an issue. <laughs> it's interesting that we brought it because this is an issue in my household, ah. so, and. You know, because we've talked before in my days away from the church, you know, I I played around with the occult stuff and, you know, I didn't, I didn't play with magic, um, but I, you know, I did do some other occultish things and I, I personally, I, I have a hard time with it, um, but you know my you know my wife read the Harry Potter stuff with our kids once they got to a certain age they often read it out loud and together and talked about 
that stuff. Um, and, and so, you know, in the process of reading it out loud, they were talking about fantasy and reality and, the, you know, how magic is, you know, this is a story, but how God speaks about not, you know, they were able to do that. Um, I can't, you know, I tried to read the Harry Potter stuff, Kip. Um, a, it's not my genre. <laughs> and, and, and B, for me, and, you know, it may just be me, weak conscience, I have, a hard, I have a hard time because I played in that world a little bit. Other people can just read it as literature, and it doesn't bug them at all, and I think that's great. That's fine. Well, I can see that. Uh, you know, you and I have spoken before in the past, for example. I, there's a, there is definitely a thing called the occult. Uh, in my experience, a Ouija board. I will not be around one anywhere. I won't have right. one in my house. I won't be in the same room with people doing it. Uh-uh. That is a cult, and no, that that's bad. Uh, but magic, you know, we know that miracles happen, certainly. We hear about it. Somebody who's supposed to die suddenly wakes up, you know. Miraculous recoveries from disaster areas where people are found alive, things like that. We know that, these ha- that it happens. But magic... Does magic exist? Well, it, you're not supposed to play around with it oh, <laughs> you know, I... and, manipulate, and, and manipulate the creation that way. Um, but it, you know, but it's. I mean, again, your your imagination goes wild, and you can, you know, that that type of thing can create uh, an environment to tell a story. You know, and, and mm-hmm. Tolkien used that. To great effect, as did St. Louis uh, or C.S. Lewis, and you know, though Tolkien and Lewis were very clearly trying to use put some Christian themes in their writing, you know, I don't, I don't think J.K. Rowling is is quite so much about that. But then again, you know, I have I have pastor colleagues who um, who have written about this that they see a lot of Christian themes in there. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't. I uh, in the Harry Potter things. I don't see Christian themes in that. Uh, I don't see any Christian themes in it. it. To me, it's it's just a fantasy world, and it's something to be enjoyed. Uh, let me give you, for instance, uh, you know, I mentioned before I am an avid video gamer, and one of the games I play is called Jericho, and this is about a top secret group. Uh, led by the U.S. Army chaplain, chaplain Corps, that directly con- that directly uh, uh, fights against various evil things, it, it, literally the devil. And you know, it, it's it, it's a Christian theme thing in that it's uh, definitely That's a real video game. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh. It's called Jericho. It's uh, actually designed of, <laughs> of all things. The, uh, the original font came from uh, oh, I think of his name in a second. Uh, British horror author. Uh, Stephen King? No, not you no. Know, King says that this is the guy he reads when he's in the mood for a horror story. <laughs> I'll, okay, I'll, I'll think of his name in a minute. Uh, but he's the guy who who was behind this, and it's a. Uh, but it's an interesting thing, you know, where you're leading a group of uh, of uh, people who are well trained in the in the arts of the Bible and the and the various things that are needed, and you are going up against truly evil things. That it that are the part of the army of Satan, Interesting. <laughs> and so uh, and you know I, you do in your spare time playing 
playing um, online chaplain. <laughs> sort of, yeah. <laughs> Although these are probably not the types of chaplains that we're used to. <laughs> uh, but uh, but I could see where people might not be happy with that one. I mean, the uh, it's it, it definitely is not a full, fully blown Christian type type game. There are those out there, but this is not one. I mean, it's a full of violence and very strange things going on. But, you know, it's a game, and I enjoy it. I've always enjoyed games. You know, the, the fantasy and reality thing, I mean, you know, people get, um, you know, you're trying to protect your, your, your conscience and protect your kids' conscience, and, and you do that. I, 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 it can depend on the child and depend on the person, you, but you can go way too far with this stuff. I mean, you oh, know. Yeah. The Star Wars, for example, I mean, there's a, the Star Wars universe is just, is flat out Manichaean dualistic theology, which is um, <laughs> directly at odds with a Christian assumption about the world and um, what we call eschatology, the view of, you know, final things and so forth. Um and so are you going to say you can't watch Star Wars? No, or? and especially you know, if we as as convinced Christians watch this, you know, there's no way that it's going to tempt us to that particular viewpoint. We just view it for, for pleasure. It's, it's fun. It's a fantasy. The, you know, then again, and I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, Paul, First like Corinthians 8, there's uh, you know, the, the Corinthians who used to participate in these sacrifices for idol, you know, uh, food sacrifice to idols and so forth, mm -hmm. and... You know, Paul in First Corinthians eight tells, uh, you know, be careful. You know, even you know the idol's not real. Could you go have a meal at the banquet hall? Of course you could. But if people see you, who are, who think that that's really for real, will their conscience be bothered? And then, then you've actually hurt your brother. And. So you, I think you do have to be a little conscious of, you know, how your actions impact, impact other people, and especially, you know, parents with children in this regard. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I would never let a child of mine play Jericho, for example. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, is Star Wars... And we have nightmares. Story, um, you know, and, you know, so you, you know, if you watch it with your children, then you talk about... themes and you and you try and refute bad theology uh, where you can and that actually can be an opportunity well I think it can uh, but there are those that are dangerous uh, I'm gonna this is a, a new it's been in the news recently and I am appalled by it there is something that you can purchase from as from uh, Amazon or Walmart called a children's book of demons. And uh, the author of this, a fellow by the name of, what is his name here? Uh, Aaron Layton. This is how he describes it. Don't want to take out the trash tonight? Maybe you're swimming in homework. Perhaps that big bully is a real drag. Well, grab your colored pencil and sigil drawing skills and dial up some demons. But be careful, even these spirits are more silly than scary, but they're still demons. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, now you are, you are opening a portal for trouble. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is, 
One of the uh, one of the uh, demons, for example, here, I've got a good description of it called uh, Corydon, I believe, C-O-R-Y-D-O-N. And it's here's the description here. Having been around for thousands of years, he has heard every joke and told every and seen every amusing sight from dinosaur poop to banana peel slips. His goofy gags and comedic skills can make you laugh at the life of the party. So if you ever need laughs, he's your guy. Of course, dealing with Croydon can be challenging. He only speaks in riddles and jokes, leaving you either baffled or unable to speak from laughing so hard. His sigil, and it actually shows the sigil image here. His sigil should be drawn with bright red, the color of the clown's nose, preferably while you're giggling. Now, underneath it, there's a it's, this guy's impacted. It's uh, n not the author and somebody else. There are several things worth noting here. First, there's a drawing of the demon. And he said, the, the demon is highly inspired from Baphomet, complete with the as above and so below signs. I mean, and uh, the name Croydon itself isn't random. That's the name of a pedophile character in Virgil's Hugelogs, <laughs> where a shepherd boy, a shepherd falls in love with a young boy. Oh, no. Yeah. And, in fact, the, the association of the name Boy Love was submitted by this one, the French author. You may He's been in the news lately. He's in trouble. Andre uh, Goudet, who's uh, titled his book Defending Homosexuality and Pederasty. And he named oh. it the character Croydon. And this is a book entitled for children, for, uh, aimed at children for 5 to 10 years of age. Well, it does, it does appear that some in our culture are trying to um, lower the, change the mores on that, um, make make that more acceptable. And that's just creepy. Yeah, well, to me, this definitely crosses the line. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. This, this is this is a cult stuff. And as you pointed out, and, I did, and I've seen firsthand, this stuff is dangerous. You don't want to mess with it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so, now that I mean, I have, I mean, we had a Harry Potter quote up on the wall here, and it was, uh, you know, just a we had a a, a, a series of we're, we're trying to do the growth mindset thing mm -hmm. with the kids, you know, encourage them, you know, for example, is you know, rather than saying, you know, this is too hard, we encourage them to say things like, this may take some time, or you know, or I'll never be that smart. You know, we want them to learn to say, you know, I can learn how to do this, you know, growth mindset stuff. So we had a success quote up there, and there was a, a quote from J.K. Rowling that went something like, I, um, you know, it's impossible to live without failing. And, you know, so unless you, and the quote from J.K. Rowling, and somebody had took offense to the fact that we had J.K. Rowling, you know, up on our board mm. in the school and that we were, you know which brought the issue back up again. Um, and the, the quote was, it's impossible to live without failure? Yeah, the quote is, I think it's, it, it's a, it is impossible to live without failing at something unless you live so cautiously that you might as well not have lived at all, in which case you fail by default. J.K. Rowling. Well, actually, I think that's a pretty wise statement. I mean, Churchill uh, once, he said... It's an they, incredibly wise statement. Yeah, he said, <laughs> Churchill said the... Uh, let me think. What he, he said the uh, definition of success is the ability to go from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. That's a great quote, too. Oh, it is. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, there was another one up there from, from Martin Luther King, and I don't remember what the quote was, but, you know, I, you know, I mean, Martin Luther King was, 
uh, as many as great things as he did. He also, right, was a serial adulterer. And you know, are we not going to are we not going to allow a quote from Martin Luther King because of some other things that he did were less than salutary? We're all damaged. We're all damaged. I don't care if it's a guy on death row or Mother Teresa. We're all damaged. You know, the only salvation is through Jesus. And I'm I'm a little bit more forgiving, I think, of uh, people with clay feet because I'm very much aware that my feet are of clay as well. Agreed. <laughs> so, oh, man, I tell you. It's that's that's one of the beauties of being a Lutheran. Uh, I, I once compared, I once described it to a, a, a non-Lutheran friend of mine as being told that you have diabetes and that you're going to have this horrible, horrible death. But then they tell you about insulin. Well, okay, it was a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, radio silence. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I thought it was a good. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. I left you hanging. Um, <laughs> hey, that's good radio sometimes. Yeah. The, um, you know, I, I just think you have to be, there's so much, there's so much good in literature, but if you're only going to read doctrinally pure Christian literature, you're, you're, going to stunt your growth a little bit oh yeah oh yeah you have you have to learn to read with some with some discernment and that's i think that's part of a a a parent's a parent's job with a with a child oh absolutely absolutely and i want to go to this a little bit further but here we are at the bottom of the hour and that means it's time for me to take a break we'll be back shortly joy some very personal music for reflection during the season of Lent. From Bach's St. John Passion to the Requiem by John Rutter, we'll share music that speaks about the greatest gift of all, the gift of love. This is Ron Clem. Do plan to join me this week for Joy. Wednesdays at 1 p.m. during Lent on KFUO. Concord Matters is the program where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, Christ-confessing Concordians read through and discuss the Book of Concord, which is our Lutheran confession of faith drawn from Holy Scripture, so that you too may be of one mind and confess with Christ. Be sure to listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio or anytime on KFUO.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Until we convene for Concord again, keep confessing, church. On this day in 1983, the celebrated television show MASH aired its final episode, making broadcast history. 
During its 11-year run, the Bible occasionally showed up in a scene, albeit with some comedic undertones. In one episode, Father Mulcahy, played by actor William Christopher, asks permission to return a shipment of Bibles because of some typographical errors, including the commandment, Thou shalt commit adultery. Colonel Potter responds, Well, that's the new army, Father. To which the chaplain for the MASH unit says, Well, let's hope it's a typo. These lads are trained to take orders. In another episode, Father Mulcahy, patting his Bible, says, All the wealth I want, you can find in here. Engage with the Bible and its impact on history, culture, and art. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Well, good afternoon. Welcome back to Let's Talk. The pastor is in, and the guest pastor on the front porch with me is Lance O'Donnell from Ankamanawak, Wisconsin. And we are talking about fantasy, imagination, and where is the line between that and the occult? And is it good for a child to have a fantasy to have a fantasy world? If you've got some thoughts about it, we'd like to hear from you. You're our, uh, you can email at uh, let's talk at kfuo.org, or you can call us in the St. Louis area at area code 314-8210-850, or the lower 48, anywhere toll-free, 1-800-730-2727. Lance, i got another quote for you. This one from Teddy Roosevelt. Far better it is to dare mighty things, to inglorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy nor suffer much, because they live in a great twilight that knows not victory nor defeat. <laughs> yeah. Um, Teddy Roosevelt crushing verbally with a hammer all those who are lazy in mind or body. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. He had... <laughs> He had a lot to say. Keep your eyes on the stars, put your feet on the ground. This is my favorite. If you could kick the person in the pants responsible for most of your trouble, you wouldn't sit for a month. <laughs> uh, so, you're making me want to read my Teddy Roosevelt biography that's sitting by my bedside. Ah, now, there's an intriguing yeah. character. He, and, and uh, you know, I, I don't know what his religious background was, in all honesty. I, being a Roosevelt, I assume he's probably Episcopalian or Anglican, one of those. But would assume, yeah. But what this man accomplished uh, through through adversity and uh, everything from uh, from conservation efforts. You know, he was one of the original conservationists. Uh, he was one of the first. Uh, Federal leaders to integrate the federal uh, the federal uh, workforce with African Americans, which uh, Woodrow Wilson yep. then immediately got rid of. That the guy was a violent racist, uh, and of course, it, and of course, you know his 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 war record and how he had the ability to inspire people. And he was a guy who overcame great adver great adversity. He was a sickly child. Yep, asthma issues, right? A absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, interesting guy. Yeah. But, uh, <clears throat> excuse me here. Sorry about that. I'm fighting off a little bug here. No, it's not that bug. <laughs> no, it's something oh. else. Yeah. Yeah, you were, yeah, you had mentioned that. I, I don't, you know, how do we deal pastorally with coronavirus scares? Yeah. Well, you know, Martin Luther actually had a letter, wrote a letter on that. Uh, on the plague? Yeah, he did, because the uh, the plague was threatening. Tell me about this I don't think I know it offhand. Oh, 
Well, I'll, I'll send you a copy of that. I've got there's yeah, an interesting I, article I, in I, there was an interesting article about it in uh, Christianity Today. Okay, uh, but what had happened was that there was a, an outbreak of plague threatening Wurttemberg. And uh, that was the question that was asked, was how should a Lutheran respond to this? And basically he was saying, well, it depends upon your vocation. Uh, you know, if you're, uh, you know, if you're a, a pastor or a doctor, your moral duty is to stay. Uh, but that doesn't stop you from, say, getting your family out to safety. And uh, that's that's... Perhaps what we're looking at here, you know, and one of the things that I know from my past, uh, my mother used to tell me about the Spanish flu, which uh, swept the nation, swept the world. Last pandemic we really had, uh, 1918, 1919, right? yeah. Killed more people in that one year than were killed in the First World War. It was a horrible, horrible epidemic. Uh, now, my grandfather, her mother, her, her father, her mother, my grandfather, my mother's father, was actually a um, Lutheran pastor here in St. Louis. And uh, the flu started to uh, hit here as well. And so what he did was he sent his wife, my grandmother, and their four daughters up to St. Paul, where it had where the disease had not yet hit. And so he stayed in St. Louis and did what it was that he had to do. But, you know, that's, that's the question. And, if, for example, what is our obligation to our neighbor? This is a highly contagious disease. What happens if our neighbor gets sick? How do we help? Can we help? Should we help? And I think the answer to that's got to be yes. Yeah, and, and part of it's, part of that is vocation. So, I mean, if that starts, what do we, again, forgive me, and I'm not as nearly as well informed on this as you obviously are. What do they know about the spread of the virus, how it spreads? Uh, they're still trying to figure that out, uh, whether it's airborne or human contact. There's some very strong evidence that uh, it's also it's spread very much through uh, fecal content, in which case San Francisco and L.A. are in big trouble. Yeah, well, yeah, and that, so, um, so we don't know about, well, so wash your hands a lot. Yeah. Well, that's still probably one of the best defenses, uh, is wash your hands. Be very careful in the bathroom. Make sure you wash your hands thoroughly, a sanitizer. Um, I was reading an article today where there's some doubt about whether or not these face masks actually help. But Yeah, I was going to ask that because um, I, I have somewhat admired Japanese culture. Because whenever, whenever you're sick in Japan, you pretty much have to wear a face mask. And if you cough in Japan, right, without one, you're, you, it's considered rude. Whereas, you know, we kind of do the opposite. Mm. I, I wonder, I'll be curious to see, you know, does that, does that make a difference? Well, you know, uh, Chaplain, um, oh, what was his name? Uh, Charles Ferris. Ferry, Charles Ferry. Um, uh, was in town not too long ago. And he was the, uh, he was in charge of the Asian region for the missionaries out there. And uh, he flew to the States from Hong Kong, and he said, uh, getting in line for the plane, he said he was the only one in the crowd who was not wearing a face mask. Interesting. Going to or from? Uh, leaving. He was leaving Hong Kong, uh, yeah, making preparations. Because, you know, we got a lot of missionaries in that area. So. Throughout the entire Asian region, and this is one of the things he was doing: was preparing a response for our missionaries, you know, making sure that they're safe and what we can do if they are stricken, things like that. You know, it's a very serious issue. 
Um, one of the things, uh, there was an interesting article, again, I read. I'm a, I'm a voracious reader. I, my wife really gets upset with me sometimes. I'm always got my nose in a book. Um, that um, shows that where the outbreaks are right now, the most serious outbreaks are areas where sanitation is not all that good. And uh, the idea being, you, know, you go to the uh, to the Western society, to Western Europe or to the uh, North America, where we we have everything from generally good health. We've got we have good nutrition. We have uh, uh, you know we have go, uh, we have good good uh, sanitation in most areas. So it'll be interesting to see if that indeed has an effect on the spread of the disease or even on its mortality. Um, I can, you know, look at it as not having had it, saying, gee, that's interesting. Yeah, you know, but, yeah, it's, 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 it is a bad thing, and it is coming our way, and we're going to have to uh, make some changes and make some decisions. And uh, what do you think that's going to be? Oh, I was afraid you were going to ask me that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, I've done two things. Uh, one is my in my own mind, uh, you know, I'm not going to leave. I'm going to stay. My my place is here with the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is uh, is uh, which actually is something I learned out in California, having lived about three miles from the San Andreas Fault, is I do have a survival kit. You know, stacked with MREs and hundred uh, hour candles and sleeping gear, things like that, just in case that something happens. You know, what do you, what's going to happen if you go to the store and there's nothing there? I I, uh, I remember um, oh gosh, back in '79, I guess it was '80 '79. I went through a, a, a hurricane and uh, everything was going. Everything was gone. The stores were closed. No power. So any food you had was was spoiled. And uh, I, a friend of mine, uh, this young lady I knew, uh, was actually robbed for a cheese sandwich. Oh wow! Yeah, this guy came up, pulled a knife on her, and grabbed her sandwich. And you know what do you do, especially if you're a parent? Your little boy or little girl comes up to you and says, Daddy, I'm hungry. And what do you do if you can't say, I'll get something for you right now? What do you do? Well, you maybe steal a, steal a cheese sandwich. Well, if you're desperate, that's what you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a, a situation I pray I'm never in again. Uh but uh, I was young and stupid. Was actually kind of enjoying it because <laughs> we were doing a twenty-four hour broadcasting. We were an emergency outfit, you know, to uh, let people know where the shelters were and, and things, you know. And, but uh, oh man, I tell you, it's a were se- you in New Orleans? Where were you for a hurricane? I, I was in Mobile. This is nineteen seventy-nine for Hurricane Frederick. Uh, it was a. Uh, they said it was a Category 3, but the weather stations that measure those things were destroyed. So they're <laughs> pretty sure it was a Category 4 when it came ashore. And, boy, I tell you, I was I was right downtown for that. And it was I've never seen anything like that in my life. It was, uh, you know, floodwaters in downtown. Uh, the, the infrastructure was completely gone. All the roads were gone. 
because uh, of debris from falling things. And the hurricane spawned a bunch of tornadoes. And those tornadoes just went along. All the trees were, were knocked down. You could see where the tornadoes went by the trees being knocked down. All the power was out. The, uh, the water supply was contaminated. It, you know, it couldn't even boil it. It was that bad. And uh, I remember um, sitting there. <laughs> I, I had a... It was, fortunately, it was my laundry day, and I had a gallon of distilled water at home. <laughs> and after about three days of not having anything to drink, I mean, I'm down to about not much left, and I'm saying to myself, God, I'm filthy. Maybe I could wash my hair, but then I won't be able to drink anything. And you just little things like that that you think about. And it was... You know, I remember when I was in college, uh, I had a uh, poli-sci prof who once told me that, uh, he once said that no nation, including our own, is more than three meals away from revolution. And boy, is he, boy, is that true? Is that so true? So, you know, you have to make up your mind, you know, how are you going to protect your family? How are you right. going to help your neighbors? We'll Both see. of which are necessary to do yep yeah and the, the answer the answer to that question what do we do is it, it really the, the 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 understanding of vocation is helpful you know in that regard i mean i just i i tend to you know what are we going to do well i'll do whatever my you know do what my doctor tells me um you know people are getting kind of freaked out and mm -hmm. i don't you know, I don't, um, you know, I'll go to my doctor's website and see what he says, but, you know, I'll have to do what I can to protect myself, but, you know, I can't not go to the hospital as a pastor. No, I understand. You know, like I said, if, if things get bad here, you know, this is where I'm, this is, this is my home. This is where I stay. My vocation is here on the air working with the church. And uh, so be it. Of course, you know, in this part of the world, we well, you you would have it too. We occasionally, speaking of the church, we have, um, you know, if we're going to get a big snowstorm, I, I people always ask me, Pastor, are you going to have church? And I said yes. Um, <laughs> we will. I will always, even if two people come, I will have it. You know, in our eight o'clock services on the radio. Oh, I didn't know that. So our, you know, we've been live on the radio for decades and so i will um you know i told people if 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 it's, if it's just me and the organist uh we're gonna have the service so that because if people are snowed in then they'll get to hear the they'll get to hear god's word on the radio yeah my pastor said uh, you know if the weather's so bad that you can't make it to church i certainly don't want to see you at the mall <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I had a few weeks ago, I had a member of our congregation um, down in uh, down south and they had an ice storm and they were they their church closed because of the ice storm. Mm -hmm. And she sent me a little text message thanking me for my sermon, which she listened to online uh, live via the radio station's website. And I thought, yeah, that's really great. Yeah, I think so. Um Again, you know, when I, when I was in Mobile, um, we were able to keep 
on the air, uh, at least in our FM station. We lost our towers on the AM side. It was a it, <laughs> you've never seen anything close to 140 mile an hour winds blow through town. Uh, Can't even imagine. Oh, but I've seen it. I've seen the aftermath of a tornado mm-hmm. in F4. That was my introduction to ministry back in 2002. But um, the sustained stuff of a hurricane and the how widespread it is, I can't. I can't imagine. Well, one thing in the aftermath of that that uh, that gave me a warm fuzz, if you will, uh, was that we'd get uh, some letters and comments every so often from from listeners who were isolated their homes. You know, the only thing that no power, all they could do is listen to the radio, you know, battery powered radio. And they were saying, just to hear our voices on the air, let them know that they're not alone. And uh, that was quite a reward for me. Well, good for you. <laughs> good for the Lord for letting me be there and giving me the talents to do what I did. Yeah. And that's that's that, again, is the definition of vocation. Whether you're aware of it or not, you know, it's taken me a long time to fully come to that conclusion. Uh, but again, this is this is part of what we do. You know, what is your vocation? And this is a good time for people to sit down there and say, what is my vocation? What is it that, what talent did God give me to fulfill? You know, or even, you know, and even if you don't have talent for it, you might have the vocation for it. I mean, you know, oh, yeah. you, um, for example, a parent, um, you may, you may have no, you may have, you may not have come from good parenting, but if you have it, well, you've got the vocation. So, you know, better study up and learn how to learn how to get better. Yeah. Or if you're a parent and your neighbor is ill and can't take care of their children, well, that's something that you can do. You know, you're, you're, what you said a few minutes ago about your grandfather pastor, mm-hmm. right? Grandfather pastored at the, during the Spanish flu? Yes. So, and he sent... He sent, he sent his family away. Your mother up north, right? Yes. Um, wow, that's interesting to think about. Because, um, you know, very often when, you know, for, for our listeners, you, I mean, we all, you have to balance these vocations. Um, you know, and, and sometimes there's some conflict and you, you, have, to, you have to make some choices. And you know what a you know your your father understanding himself as a soldier of the cross, recognizing uh, that he you know and people are dying like crazy all over the place. What that must have been like for him, and for your you know your grandmother and your mother to send them off, knowing you know it's like sending man off to World War II. Oh yeah, very much so. I mean, it, we lost more people. The U.S. lost more people to that flu than we lost to the war. That's amazing. I just had, by the way, speaking of the war, I had the most delightful shut-in visit today with a 96-year-old man and his 98-year-old wife. Uh, He was in Patton's Third Army. Wow. Telling me stories today about um, his experience, and I think in in Belgium, sleeping in the snow, trying to keep warm. my goodness, what those guys came through. Mm. I um, 
<laughs> I interviewed, uh, oh gosh, when I was still back in California, an elderly gentleman uh, who was Jewish, who had been a, uh, uh, a bombardier on board a B-24. They called it the bucket of bolts because it all rattled so much. They always took battle damage, but they, no one, none of the crew was ever hurt. But what he said happened was that the, um, before each mission, there would be uh, religious services for, uh, for the Protestants and for the Catholics. He was the only Jew in the squadron. And he said one day the uh, Protestant uh, chaplain noticed he was there by himself and came up to him and said, well, do you have a, 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 a prayer book, a Jewish prayer book? And he pulled it out and said, yeah, but I don't read Hebrew. And the pastor said, I do. <laughs> Here you go. You want to be, you want to make any, any bets that that was Lutheran pastor? <laughs> Pretty good chance. Mm-hmm. Chance. Yeah, I, I was thinking about the vocation thing, and, and I'm, I feel compelled as a pastor to say something. You know, we're talking coronavirus and and vocational conflict. And I want to leave that with with some forgiveness from the cross. You know, when when you have when you have vocations in conflict, for example, you know your your grandfather is is a husband and a father, and he's a pastor. Um, and, you know, sometimes the right thing to do is obvious, and sometimes it's not. And, you know, you, you prayerfully do what, what you think you must and, and trust that, uh, that God is merciful. And, you know, and you might have sinned, but you don't know. Um, and you trust that in the, because Christ is raised from the dead and your forgiveness is earned, um, that he will cover that, cover that sin even you know, when you don't know what to do and you, you might. You sin whether you do or you sin whether you don't. And uh, either way you win. I mean, I, this, this was a conclusion I came to when I had my second heart attack. <laughs> yeah. Amazing things that you think about when you're in the ICU. Sure. <laughs> but I was lying there in the ICU, and suddenly, you know, I had no worries, no problems anymore, because the only thing that mattered was whether I was going to live or die. Yeah. And, and if I lived, I'd go back to my family and friends and job. And if I died, I'd be in glory. Yeah. I know it sounds strange, but it was probably one of the most peaceful times of my life. And liberating. Yeah. It, it was, very much so. Very much so. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, so you've got people all over the world now in in that kind of vocational conflict related to this thing. Um. Oh yeah, and, you know, and you read about it everywhere. Uh, not just the disease. I mean, the, the uh, I was reading this morning, for example, where there was a uh, an attack on a Christian church in India, or one one of the worshippers was was paralyzed, and you read about Boko Haram in uh, Nigeria. Where the uh, entire villages are being wiped out by, by the this horrible group of people who have this thing about Christians, they kill them all, they enslave the women that, that they capture, enslave in this day and age. Yeah. So you know those people live with it every day, and you know we have to. I, I like to put that in perspective, you know, with my life today. You know how utterly blessed I am. And, uh, oh, man, you know, I, I can't imagine what it would be like to be a, a, a Christian in northern Nigeria right now, knowing right. that at any time somebody could come in and kill me because I 
<laughs> because I worship Jesus Christ. You know, isn't that something? Mm. Um, yeah, well, it took us, you know, us, I'd say us Western European types, <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, I mean, it took, what, 100 years after the Re- Reformation for us to figure out that we could we could differ and not kill each other? Right. Uh, and, you know, that was one of the beauties of the Reformation. Um, well, and really, in discovering... Christian theology there, because I, I mean, Islam is different in this regard. I mean, I, at least in my reading of it, no. um, in my reading of the Quran, I mean, it really kind of compels you to to keep it attacking militarily. But I, I think you can make a pretty strong case, at Christian, from a Christian theological standpoint, that uh, Jesus doesn't want the faith spread by the sword. Oh, well, you know, the the Christian can die for his faith, but he can't kill for it. That's one of the big differences, I think, between Christianity and Islam. But, uh, and that's a pretty good summary, yeah. As far as concerned, and one of the beauties of the Reformation was not just the uh, not just the reformers, not just Luther and all the others, but it actually forced the Catholic Church to examine itself, whether they admit it or not. The Catholics, Absolutely. yeah, they, and they did. They had they made some changes. They had to look at themselves and say, "We're doing something wrong." What is it? And that's something that Christianity has that Islam doesn't. They consider the they consider it finished. It, there's there there never was such a thing as a reformation in Islam. Now they have a schism between the Shiites and the Sunni, but that's that's something different. But they never had a a, a reformation where there was a breakaway group, and that forced the other side to say, "What are we doing wrong? Maybe these people have something to say." So, you know, as you pointed out, it took us 100 years to pass, pass, the, Refor- pass the Reformation. Right, and, you know, the brutal, right, the brutal, uh, the 30 years war. Oh, yeah. All the, you know. Which was almost it, entirely about, you know, between Christian and between Protestant and Catholic. Right. It, you know, through very bitter, 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 um, and hundreds of thousands of deaths, right? And finally, to get to the point to realize what Jesus said all along, um, you know, uh, I don't need your sword. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lance, we're entering into the last minute of the program. Do you have any any last minute thoughts, any questions, observations? Well, I would, uh, you know, on the we started this conversation talking about reading literature. And, you know, can you read literature that has magical practices in it? And, and I, mm-hmm. I, I would, I would, you know, I would say read with discernment. Um, and, you know, if you have children, um, read with your children and uh, understand right and wrong. And, you know, and use the reading of some literature to help discuss what is right, what is right and what is wrong. So that when they encounter things in the world... They're not surprised by them, and they can make a right judgment. And if you're if you're a convinced Christian, you know, you, there's no way you're going to be tempted by anything false like that. You just it, you realize it's for what it is. It's fantasy. It's 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 entertainment. Uh, my parents never uh, never really restricted what I was reading, but they wanted to know what I was reading, and they would often discuss it with me. After, with, after the book was done. So that's one lesson we learned. Well, Lance, it's time for us to head on out. You hear that music coming up? 
Have a great day. You Thank too. You for Anytime, Lance. I always enjoy these conversations. listening to The Pastor Is In, a weekly chance to chat with a pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting The Pastor Is In on Worldwide KFUO.